0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Let me catch you up to speed if you're new. Two weeks ago, we started a series called The Family Crest. A coat of arms is a visible representation of what a family values. All the things that make the family what it is end up in picture form in European culture, 900 years ago, where a lot of people did not know how to read. And I pointed out last week, we tend to put these things in words and banners nowadays, right, maybe not for a family. If you've got family rules on the wall, more power to you, you are three steps ahead of me. I wanna get there one day. But companies do it, churches do it, nonprofits do it, countries do it. E pluribus unum, right? for the United States. We've, we've got mottos and creeds and things that we value and we write it down or we give a visible representation. Acts 2.42 through 47 is this cool little peek into one brief moment in the church where everything was going right. Who here, you've had a day where everything was going right for seven minutes? Okay? I want to keep giving perspective. I do not want us to romanticize the early church because of this text. These verses, everything's going right, but there was some tough stuff before, and there's a lot of tough stuff coming later, yet Luke still gives us this cool image of, hey, if everything's going well, these are the things that early Christians were devoted to, and we'd see from the rest of the New Testament, all Christians should be devoted to. So we did a week on what is it to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, then, uh, and fellowship, Koinonia broke that down last week, devoted to fellowship and then this next thing comes up in the text, the sharing of meals. Oh, giving time. Give us all your money. Thank you. Um, was that good? Was that smooth? I know, Renault felt compelled. <laughs> uh, silver buckets at the back for those of you giving with cash or check. Please do not give unless foundation is your faith family. Um, today, we're going to be reading through the text again, working on memorizing it again. Um, And we're going to dive in and ask this question, why the breaking of bread? Why the sharing of in meals? So three slides where we're going to read it together out loud as a corporate reading. And then three more slides where I've got words taken out, different words from last week to keep you on your toes. And Lord willing, we'll have this memorized by the end of the series. Read with me. One, two, three. All the believers devoted themselves and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship who were being saved. Amen. One more time. All the believers devoted... before miraculous signs and wonders, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worked together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You guys are doing so great. Repetition clearly bears some fruit. Praise the Lord. So the question I promised we're going to tackle, what is the significance of the early church sharing meals? Whenever we see something in Scripture, especially in a history We have to first ask the question, just because it happened in the past, is Scripture commanding it in the present of the church? Does that make sense? No? Okay. When Moses killed a guy, which he did, is Scripture commanding us to go find a guy and kill him? No. It's a recording of a historical fact. The rest of Scripture makes it very clear that murder is wrong, right? So we see a historical account of somebody doing the wrong thing. How many of you guys know the Old Testament is filled with people doing the wrong thing? Okay, lots of stuff we won't teach to the three- and four-year-olds, okay? So just because it is recorded does not mean it is commanded. We have to ask ourselves, does the rest of the New Testament, does, or the Old Testament for that matter, does it show this happening over and over again? And I am going to submit to you, the first point is my premise, based off of the culture of the first century, here's a blank. Sharing meals is about spending time together. Sharing meals is about spending time together. That's what it's actually about. I know you are hungry. I know you're ready for us to pass out some hors d'oeuvres and serve some drinks. And I do think food's a big part of it. We're going to talk a lot about food today. But I want us to go back to the first century. Jesus, that's not the chosen, that's Jesus. That's the real him. Come on now. I didn't find this on Google. People, come on. I found the real guy. And if you've seen The Chosen, maybe this is easier for you. He calls disciples just like any rabbi would do. And for the next three and a half years, they ignore him all week long except for an hour on Sunday. No? Mike is scoffing at me. My feelings are hurt. No. No. Follow me was not just a metaphor that transcended the behavior. It was the behavior. Everywhere I walk, you're going with me. Uh, there's a 2000, more than 2,000-year-old Jewish blessing for the disciple. It says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be so vigilant in following him so closely that the dust that comes up from his feet is all over your clothing not lagging behind, not complaining, and definitely not ahead telling him how it should be. Yeah, Peter, that's you. Okay, it's me too. So Jesus, when he makes disciples, he gets life on life with these guys, 24 hours a day for three and a half years. And I think there are a few things about that that scare the 21st century Christian. Wait, that sounds like a lot bigger time commitment than I was hoping for or taught to expect. And you're telling me Jesus can up and leave after three and a half years? I thought I had to go through a class and a program and go to seminary and nine and a half years later, now I'm allowed to tell somebody else about Jesus because I am fully trained. I'm a professional Christian. (laughs) So I've got something scarier for you. Jesus didn't wait three and a half years to tell the 12 to do ministry, did he? Some of these guys got five minutes this is what we're doing, we're doing ministry today. That's what we're <laughs> we're gonna heal people, we're gonna pray for people, we're gonna teach them about the kingdom. Sending them out, sending out the 72, that happened long before the end of Jesus' ministry. Discipleship, learning not just what your rabbi says, but his character and learning to become like him. This requires time together. So let me be really practical. Let me t- tell the story of my dad. My dad, in 1981, goes to seminary here in Marin County before uh, that seminary moved to Southern California recently. But at the time, Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary was in Marin. Dad was, dad was going there to study music, church music. And they had a program where the broke seminary students could live in a spare bedroom of Christians who lived nearby. And so he met Arland and Edie Marlette, wonderful saints that are with the Lord Jesus now who lived in Daly City. And so dad would live in their spare bedroom and he would drive up to his classes in Marin. And he will tell you, Arland and Edie never sat him down and opened the Bible and said, hey, Brian, here's what you need to know about marriage. I'm gonna take you through Ephesians 5. I'm gonna take you through Proverbs 31. I'm gonna take you through the cultural mandate of Genesis 1. That never happened. You know what did happen? dad saw a marriage like he had never seen because he was living in their house. It transformed his definition of marriage because they were spending time together. There was no Bible study. There was no theological discourse. There was no class. They spent time together. And the type of wife that he was looking for in the years that followed was totally different because the definition of marriage had been different. The marriage that my sister and I saw growing up in the eighties and nineties was fundamentally transformed because they spent time together. I like to think that Emily Kaiser's life is just a little bit easier because Brian Kaiser got time with the Marlettes in 1981. Brothers and sisters, There's an echo that goes generations forward when we invest our lives in people. So, if you accept my premise, maybe you do, maybe, well, let me talk about the evening meal for a second. Imagine a non-industrialized world. Not everything's made in a factory. The whole planet lives and breathes food, except for a very small merchant class and an even smaller ruling class, a.k.a. 95% of us are farmers. And that's what we call human history, by the way. <laughs> this is the vast majority of human history. The evening meal, man, this might be an animal that was killed earlier today. This might be bread from grain that was harvested earlier today. Husband went out into the field and harvested grain, and, brought, and his wife is grinding it, and they're... Your whole evening schedule is dominated by the meal and your work schedule is dominated by the sun. There's no electric light. The sun rules everything. And so the evening is not just when perhaps the meal is ready. It's when everybody can come in from the field. You kind of have to. You have to be done with your work. You don't get to do the 20th and 21st century, go, 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 who needs Sabbath. I mean, you can try that, but it's hard to do it when the sun's down. So let me ask you an obvious question. When are people who are very communal, when is your social time in a world like that? It's when the sun goes down. Working while the sun is up is sometimes an existential crisis depending on the availability of food. Whether hunting or farming, the sun rules everything. When the sun goes down, people time. People time. Jesus was making disciples in a culture, which a lot of cultures are this way, where dinner is a three, three and a half, four hour event. Why? Because we got nothing else to do. There is no television to divorce me from my friends. There is no busy thing. It's like, oh, I got to work some more. You can't. It's dark. There's nothing stopping you from being with your family and or being with your friends. That's the historical context of where Jesus made disciples. They're they're not every shiny object distracting me. Oh, I got to go do this thing. So in Acts 2.42 through 47, when we read that they're meeting daily in the temple, which is the only logical place to hear Peter preach when the church is now 3,120 people. It's the only space big enough. But we also have to go homes. Why? Because Jesus just gave us the Lord's Supper, and it was not a cracker and juice. Huh? It wasn't? You just said it was a cracker. No, it wasn't. The Lord's Supper was an entire Passover meal, and at the end of it was a cracker and juice, or cracker and wine, historically. There was fellowship. There was the tragedy of Judas leaving. And at the end of a Passover meal, which is symbolic of Israel's deliverance, it is a part of this deliverance where he says, my death is what's going to make this unification happen. So I don't know that we should be shocked when we see the early church meets in homes all the time, sharing meals all the time, capped off typically by the Lord's Supper together. We don't even know if they had the Lord's Supper every night. Is that different than our tradition? In homes, after a meal... Perhaps every night, as often as they want. Scripture does not say how often to celebrate it. As often as you get together, Jesus said, right? So very different from our culture. But we ask ourselves, okay, there are a lot of differences in the culture. What is the same? And here, I hope you agree with me. The fundamental nature of a human being, I don't believe has changed in 2000 years. We are still communal creatures. We need each other. No amens. That's okay. I'm gonna preach it anyway. I don't believe the fundamental nature of a human being has changed. Loneliness still kills. Um, read one study, and obviously one study can say anything, so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, but one study uh, that came out about two years ago uh, showed that people who report chronic loneliness live an average of five years less than those that don't. It, it is possible that chronic lo- loneliness is actually killing you. Um, And of course, if that's true, that's tragic, and it puts even more impetus on why we should be kind and initiating in love toward another, initiating in relationship with one another. What if this evening meal, and it happening so often, what if it really is about time together? And I don't mean time together in a fluffy sense, like there's no agenda for the fellowship. Imagine, you know, that Pentecost happened on a Sunday, and some other person... Heard the gospel on a Tuesday, and they got saved. And they led somebody else to Christ on a Friday, and they got saved. And that person was your brother-in-law and on Saturday now, and he's telling you that Messiah came. You're not sitting there waiting, interested, going, oh, do they get together once a week so I can hear this? No, this is gargantuan in a Jewish culture. Messiah came? You're going to tell me about it now. Tell me everything you know. Who knows more than you? Him? You know, you hang up the sign. Be back in an hour, you know. And you go find out anybody who know what. What do you mean Jesus was Messiah? This is a big deal. So let's go to two things that the text says really directly about the sharing in meals. Verse forty-six. Sharing meals is to be rooted. This time together is to be rooted in joy and generosity. Joy and generosity, and that. Puts a little bit of impetus on us because joy, who knows that joy is a choice, right? Scriptures are preaching at me now, telling me to do something, and I'm upset. Joy is a choice. I know that just from the first three chapters of Job, if I didn't learn it anywhere else. Happiness can be taken from me in a moment, but joy cannot Acts 2 says they shared their meals with great joy. Not just a little, a tremendous amount of joy. It was their joy to spend time together, to have meals, their evening, all of their free time, all of their social time, is with this new tribe of folks who believe they have found Messiah. So, what does this naturally put on to me? I'm trying to live the Christian life. It's 2023 Do I have joy in my approach to people time? Let, here, let's just confess our sins so that we can all breathe out and, and, be, and receive grace, okay? Who has ever felt pressure and been a little bit frustrated when you knew people were about to come into your house? Who's been frustrated? I didn't really want them to come. There are social reasons why they have to come. Okay, we've all done it. Or, other way around, you have to go to somebody else's house and it's a have to. You do for whatever reason you do not want to go, but it has happened. Okay. There are reasons, okay? But this is a snapshot generally of the health of the church, not necessarily of one moment that was created through cultural obligation. I want to encourage all of us, starting with my own heart. Greg, check your joyometer. That's incredible grammar, isn't it? Joyometer. Greg, if the scriptures say to be in people's homes and receive people into your home and to do it with great joy, if I view people as just kind of a nuisance, is there something wrong with God or is there something wrong with me? Ouch, right? Those are the only two options. And I'm not talking about the heat of a moment. Sometimes there's a conflict. Sometimes someone's being a jerk and it's like, man, I don't want him to come over, or whatever. And they're like, it's your dad. You have to let your dad come to Thanksgiving. Come on. Um, <laughs> it's your grandma. And she's bringing the stuffing, so we're letting her come. Um, Greg, check your joyometer. Foundation, check your joyometer. Do I not have people over very often? Because I have not stirred up joy inside my heart with, with genuine coin and fellowship. Like maybe I need to choose to enjoy how many of you guys know, well, you're all grown ups. Every grown ups uh, he's old enough. We're gonna call everybody here grown ups. Who here genuinely loves you can name just one, just one food that you really, really like that you did not like as a kid? Who can name at least one food that you do really like but you didn't like it as a kid? That would be evidence that the scientists are right. Taste buds are, in fact, trained. Taste buds are trained. Guys, did you know that your joyometer is trained? Who here enjoys something right now that you would have never, ever enjoyed before you were a Christian? Right? Singing with your eyes closed to the sky, that's weird. That's weird upon weird, let alone the idea of getting joy from it. Who here remembers a day where you would have never thought you would enjoy studying the Bible? You remember a time where you would, I never would have. And yet, the Lord brought you there somehow, huh? He gave you a new heart, which guess what? The heart is upstream from desire. That's why you want to be with him. That's why you want to be with his God's people. That's why you want to serve your city and your world. God gave you a new heart. Guys, your joyometer can be trained. And if scripture says to find joy and stuff, right? Let's go back to Psalm 119, everybody's favorite psalm, where somebody is fundamentally more enjoying the Bible than I am. And so I feel convicted, right? Maybe the scripture is telling me, Greg, you should enjoy the word of God this much. Because the only alternative is, well, this guy just got a little bit excited and God put his song in the Bible. He, he was a little overheated. He just came back from a week-long Bible camp and so he wrote this song about how he loves the Word of God and God chuckled, but he permitted that to be put in Scripture. Either that, the Holy Spirit made a mistake in putting Psalm 119 in the Bible, or maybe my joy in the Word isn't what it ought to be. Maybe... I could fan the flames of my own joy, right? Maybe the joyometer is trainable. Uh, also, so great joy. Also, oh, let me tell a story about joy real quick. So, in ancient Greece, there was an old man sitting along the side of a road in between two towns. And a younger man comes walking down the road and sees him, and says, Good morning. Question, the, the people in this town up ahead, how do you find them? Are they kind and welcoming or are they mean-spirited and isolated and they don't like outsiders? Are, are they nice or are they mean? And the old man, because he had some experience, he said, well, how did you find the people to be in the last town you were in? And the young man said, oh, they were grumpy and they were mean and... Yeah, it wasn't very fun at all. The old man said, You'll find the people in the next next town to be the exact same. He was talking about the young man's perspective and the young man's attitude and the young man's joyometer. If you fundamentally view people as a burden, we gotta do something to fine-tune our joyometer. And I'm not talking, hey, introverts, you need to become extroverts. Those those words get really used and abused. I am deeply introverted. I love coffee and a book so much that I count the days until my youngest turns 18, okay? (laughs) I love coffee and a book. I really, really do. And yet, that doesn't mean you don't love people. It just means after a few hours, you're kind of burnt out. I'm tired on Sunday afternoons, guys, and that's not disrespect to you guys. It just means I put out energy having fun with you guys. I put out energy and I'm tired. That's all it means. Doesn't mean I didn't have a total blast. Okay? If I don't like people, though, if I view them as a burden, let me check my joyometer. Breaking bread, sharing meals, it's also a generosity issue in this same verse. Let's talk briefly about spaghetti, because we all know when I say the word generosity, you think spaghetti. I had the privilege a few years back of being a youth pastor and they had an annual rhythm, which I appreciated, of the youth ministry putting together a spaghetti dinner fundraiser after church to help kids get money to go to camp or mission trips or whatever was going on. And at the time, adjusted for inflation, no, I'm kidding, uh, but it was, it was seven bucks Which we all know, guys, who knows spaghetti is cheap? Who who fed spaghetti to your family yesterday because it was cheap, right? Carbs are cheap, so praise the Lord. Charging seven bucks a plate to get some spaghetti, garlic bread, salad, some lemonade, what have you. This is a fundraiser to be sure. It's like when you go for dried chicken at some fancy fundraiser and you paid 50 bucks for the dried chicken. Lord help us. Like it's a good thing I believe in the cause. This chicken gave its life for no reason. Um, but yes, so when a married couple would walk up into the line whose kids were already raised or what have you, uh, the, the bill's 14 bucks, right? And there were so many families that came. They knew about this event. They'd come with a 20, drop it in there, say, keep the change. It was this regular rhythm. Like, Why on earth would I bother asking for my $6 a change when I am thrilled that high schoolers are going to camp where they're gonna be taught to follow Jesus better or they're going on a Mexico mission trip. Why on earth, what do I need my six bucks for? One guy in particular uh, dropped a 100 every year, dropped a $100 bill in there for his $7 plate of spaghetti. Um, guys, that sounds like a Christian to you, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like somebody who's received so much grace from the king, there's no way he can choke out his brother for 20 bucks? You're gracious because you've received grace. And grace cannot really be defined apart from generosity. Grace is generosity from our creator the text says they shared their meals with great joy. That tells you where their heart and their attitude is. Generosity. They're not worrying about resources too much. And that's not an excuse to not plan, but they're not sitting there freaking out going, We're going to run out of spaghetti. Hey, we're going to run out of this. Hey, we're going to run out of that. We're going to get into a text farther down, uh, a piece of this text farther down. It's just very clear. They viewed their possessions, they held loosely. I know many of you guys do. You got this weird idea in your head that your car belongs to the kingdom of God, not you. And so it's no big deal to pick somebody up on your way to church. You got this idea that your money is actually God's. And so when there's an opportunity to bless somebody, you just bless. You don't have to have this deep emotional reaction like somebody is stealing from me. If we feel like God is stealing from us during a generosity sermon, that means our heart is not generous. Does that make sense? Generos- generosity has infected you when your desires change. When it is your joy to give, that's when you know. That's why God says he loves a cheerful giver. It's not real generosity until your heart wants to do it. So the potluck which many of you guys have experienced many times, the idea of everybody brings something. And guess what? I know we're getting totally into like, it it drives me crazy that politics has to be involved with resources because it's just, to me, it's just so biblical. Um, You bring what you got. There are some of us, when it comes to finances, we should probably bring two things to a potluck because it's the Lord's money. He he gave me money, we're, we're doing okay. I'm gonna bring two things. There are some of us, we need, listen, Pastor Greg gave you permission, we need to bring nothing to the church potluck, nothing, because you're a single mom working three jobs, busting your hump, trying to take care of two babies. Let the church bless you. This is who we are. This is what we're here for. There are times, maybe you had a great job, but you got fired a month ago, and your savings is gone, and you're feeling it. There are reasons to come to the table bringing nothing. And it's going to require humility of you in the middle of something. You've already been humiliated through whatever happened to you. But let Jesus show off inside the hearts of your brothers and sisters right now. How How many of you guys know that's not always different people? Sometimes it's just a timeline. I was broke... And then for a few years, we were okay. And then there was a time where business went well and I'm actually doing pretty well. Like, that could be the same person at different points in time. Families don't worry at the Thanksgiving meal. If you're sitting there and there are 12, 13, 14 different foods and you're going, wow, you're not sitting there going, well, aunt so-and-so paid for the green beans and uncle so-and-so paid for the, and you're, you're like working out a tab. Come on now, you hold it loosely. You put it on the table and you do it with joy, you do it with generosity. So some cultural barrier. Now we're going to get away from the text and we're going to ask about how to apply it. So I'm going to talk about 2023 American culture for a smidge and see if this helps us. You can write this down if you want. I've got some blanks. Three, there are probably more than three barriers to sharing meals if you're an American in... The 21st century. They're not stopping us, they're just hindrances. That makes sense? You can get past a barrier. It might stop you for a second, but then you can think about it and you can make purposeful choices. One barrier oops, I was already at it, I'm sorry. Our meals are not at home. More and more, with the hyper industrialization of food, uh, we are paying somebody minimum wage to create our food for us, and we drive somewhere else to go get it, or Grubhub and company uh, invented just in time for a pandemic. um, Folks are paid also a very poor wage to make our food and to transport our food to our house. I mean, really it's ingenious. We don't have to interact with any human beings anymore. Who wants them, right? If you ever wanted an industry that just said humans are the worst, Grubhub. Gosh, humans. <clears throat> if only I could get my church this way where I could sit at home and watch a screen and not have to interact with people. If I could figure that out. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll figure it out one day. We'll figure it out one day. This is a barrier. If we were to take the mealtime and say, man, wouldn't it be cool to get together with friends? It is so normative to not cook in my own house. Again, guys, honesty, authentic community. Raise your hand, be honest. Who here, for sure, feels like I don't even hardly, I don't feel like I know how to cook well enough and that my skills in the kitchen make me a little bit nervous to invite people over. Good, you all know how to cook. I'm coming over. Okay, this was a barrier for me for years. I don't know how to cook and that lack of skill is itself an intimidation to having people over. I'm not kidding. I'm coming over to your house. I'm glad you can all cook. Uh, Our meals must be easy in 21st century American culture. Easy. We're not starting in a field. (laughs) We're not starting in a forest hunting a boar. As awesome as that would be. That sounds like a men's ministry idea to me. Uh, (laughs) We had bacon. Oh, where did you get it? The forest. (laughs) In industrialized culture, meals are easy. Listen to the way that media advertises and sells things. Easy, easy, easy. And it's got to be fast. It's got to be fast. This heartbreaking observation uh, came to me as I thought this through. Food can be handed to you through a window in less than three minutes. Did you know friendship can't? Friendship cannot. I remember years ago being in a Wendy's drive through and the, I was at the, you know, the, the microphone, behind the microphone, this lousy, Jeremy. You're going to make millions. You need to invent a sound system where you can actually tell what the person is saying. And it would be amazing. Anyway, but this, I don't know, 18 year old girl is, Hi, how are you doing? And it struck me. I gave her the answer that she needed because we don't have all day. I said, Oh, I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Then gave her my order. It struck me that there's no way she was asking that authentically because she's on the clock. And she's not a therapist. <laughs> I worked at Carl's Jr. when I was 16. Some people, I needed to send them my bill because they start giving me their life story. I'm like, uh, pfft, okay. I gave her the answer she wanted because I knew we're on a clock here. She wants me to tell her the order so she, her people can start making it so I can drive forward. She can serve the next person. And, and the, the inauthenticity, and it didn't mean she was doing anything wrong or evil, but the inauthenticity of the cultural moment hit me. She doesn't want to know about my day. I'm going to need a friend for that. A friend, when a friend says, how are you? And it's still going to take some nonverbal. Sometimes, Dennis knows this, he's good at this, a hand on the shoulder and looking straight into your eyes to let you know, no, I really mean it, and I've got 20 minutes. If the answer is 20 minutes, I'm here. That's friendship now. That's koinonia now. It can't be handed through a window. So food and friendship used to be married, and they got a divorce in the last 60 years in industrialized culture, at least partially. So let's talk about some culturally normal ways to invest time together. Here are the ways that food and friendship did not get a divorce. They just evolved. Getting coffee. That's a way that people get together. That's a breaking of bread. Uh, Especially if you're not comfortable yet inviting him into your home. or Let's let's get coffee. There's this third place. Going out to eat with friends. You're still getting together with friends, but somebody else is cooking the food. All right, cool. That's a way that we could get together. A lot of Americans do this. If you've got kids, attending the activities of your kids, the parents of the other kids in, in class can become your tribe real fast. Your kid joins a soccer team. All the other parents, those are your friends now. Your kid joins Little League. Who are your friends? All the parents in this Little League. Because we spend way tons of time together, depending on the sport and what it is. We know each other now. Whether we wanted to or not. We know each other now. Or going out for drinks with coworkers. Or, and this is a big one, Meetings, conventions, and Facebook pages dedicated to affinity groups, hobby groups, life stage groups. Who here has ever driven past the, I've done this so many times because I used to live on the grid, but driven past the convention center, and the sign is up for whatever convention is there today, and you're sitting there going, I didn't know that was a thing. Some niche hobby group. And it's the only convention on planet Earth. This is the one time they are meeting this year. And it's this really niche thing. But everybody there is really enthusiastic about whatever it might be. I'm not even going to give examples. Because somebody's going to, that's my hobby. How dare you? you can get offended. Um, but you just didn't even know that was a hobby. Did not know that was a favored activity. Uh, that's one way. In a consumeristic culture, we're built around, ready, our consumption. What we're consuming is one way. Um, but hey, friendship is friendship, however we can get it, right? What about a countercultural way to invest time together? I just want to put before you the one the text does. Invite people over for a meal. It's not countercultural to say, hey, let's the six of us all go get sushi, That's wonderful. It can be beautiful. Use that time together well. It's not countercultural yet, though, because that's pretty normative in our culture. Counterculture doesn't mean people are upset by it. It just means they're not used to it. Hey, why don't you guys come over? I I was at Costco. I bought extra steak. There's more than we could possibly eat. You guys got to come over, right? You just gave them the excuse. You guys have to. You're doing me a favor by coming over right? Emily and I, in our 15 and a half years of marriage, we have seen, particularly from folks that do not know Jesus yet, we see over and over and over the exact same response to in-home hospitality. Oh my gosh, it's just so nice to get together. Thank you guys so much for inviting us over. We can't think of the last time we were in somebody's home, We hear that over and over and over. Christians, we're hopefully better at it. So we've been in each other's homes, I hope. But it is still counterculture. The culture is not there and it's a non-offensive way to bring healing and blessing and the gospel and friendship all in one relational context. I'm gonna hurry through these, but here are your blanks for next steps. Here how I believe we can do some reframing, which is almost another word for pathway toward redeeming. How can we take some behaviors related to in-home meals and submit them to Christ? I want you to reconsider social time. Stop thinking of it as a task. What if you thought of social time as a de-stressor? This is going to be harder for some of you than others. Human history... You were together with people prepping food and and breaking bread and enjoying your evening and that was the de-stressor. That was the unwind from the day. There wasn't a screen to sit in front of and say, this is my de-stressor. There were no prescription meds. There was no caffeine. There was no processed sugar. Anything we use as a de-stressor, a lot of it just came to existence the last 150 years. People were the de-stressor. What about reframing grocery shopping? Don't think of it. As a chore, what if this is servanthood? I am serving the folks who are coming over. If they've got dietary restrictions, I am in particular being careful in my thoughts of here's what we're gonna prepare for our friends. Reframe meal prep as a time for connection instead of a chore. Um, How many of you guys loved it when your kids got old enough that they could genuinely help in the kitchen a little bit and you started teaching them? You realize this was not time. When, When your kids are little, it's leave me alone or we're gonna starve to death right? When your kids get big enough, it's, oh, they can actually help. And this is now family time. This is connection. We don't have to be separate. Your friends can get together and come over at five, even though we know we're not eating until six. That's okay. It is okay. What about reframing the meal time as connection instead of mere consumption? What if it's not just shove the food down the gullet, this is a biological process, what if this is an opportunity for connection? What about refraining the cleaning of the dishes afterwards? It's, it's a chance for extending a meaningful conversation. This is our chance, because we got into a good conversation. Let me share a thought to you about when i in my creative imagination. I'm trying to imagine the early church. I'm going to share this with you, and then I'm going to pray for us. They were devoted to spending time together, personal time, not built around a task, not built around around learning per se. They were not isolated. They were a community. They had friends. They knew who they could ask Bible questions. It was messy. They had kids too. They figured it out. They worked all day. They figured it out. They had small homes. They figured it out. They didn't have all the Bible answers either and they figured it out. Sometimes people bothered them and they figured it out. Lord Jesus, I ask your Holy Spirit to please fill foundation and make us a people who are good at breaking bread. Make us good at relationship, God, not just with those with whom we're already comfortable, but help us to make new friends. To love people because they're image bearers, not because I already learned about them and find out we agree on a bunch of stuff, but to just genuinely love image bearers. God, give us greater koinonia for the glory of your name. The great name of Jesus, we ask for all these things. God's people said. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.